Okay. Welcome to Book Talk. Welcome to Book Talk. (laughs) (laughs) Book Talk is a weekly podcast where we read a section of a book and then chat about it on Sunday nights. Right now we're in the last section of The Push by Ashley Audrain. And it got crazy. And also you're Katie and I'm Erica. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm Katie. This is Erica. Don't you know us by now? I don't think that we sound that similar, but it is a thing with women's voices. It's like harder to tell people apart. And there's a third woman on this mm-hmm. podcast, so good luck. <laughs> yeah, but I think we'll have like a slight difference think, in her voice yeah. than ours. But you I might be able to pick wrong, up something you know. different. And that will come <laughs> in a couple minutes with our guest. But first, we'll wrap up this section Yay. of the book with you all. Yeah, so a lot happened this week. Um, We start this section with Blythe going to the mom's club um, more often, really trying to get to know Gemma. We see a lot more of her grief and the processing of her loss of Sam um, and her attempt to move on with the literary agent. Uh, Blythe is really getting into character going to this mom's club, and it all comes to a head when she is introduced to Fox while impersonating someone else. Um, And she is really exiled from Fox and Gemma's life. We learn a lot more about where Blythe came from and what it really means that it's all about the women in this family. Um, and we get to see Blythe have a momentary, a moment where she takes Violet to meet the woman who was really influential in her life. Um, this section ends with two heartbreaking scenes of Fox coming over and returning the painting and then Gemma calling Blythe and saying that something happened to Jet, which was a crazy ending. Yeah, I we... I would like to say and pat ourselves on the back. We kind of saw two things coming. First, the pregnancy or um, the fact that Fox had the child with Gemma, their their son. Oh, yeah. Wow, they were so married. I think you called that like, is he the dad of um, the son, which is pretty crazy. Um, and then also that. That does not help me like him anymore. <sighs> we hate Fox. But we also have the satisfaction that we know the truth at the end is that Blythe was right all along. And it's sad because like Gemma just seems like such an innocent third party to have to be involved in this. And her son, obviously something bad happening to him. Um, But it is satisfying at the end because you know that all along we were right to trust that Blythe was right and that Violet now it's almost undeniable that there's something wrong with Violet. It's interesting what you said about Gemma being a, an innocent bystander because everything that she was told from Fox was that, you know, Blythe was lying and Blythe has gone crazy. And I just, I feel for Gemma thinking back to all of those stories and all the times that Fox told her, you know, Blythe thought this happened, but of course it didn't. And now she has her own evidence and I it's like crazy that it had to end that way so the moral of the story is women are always right and you should listen to them (laughs) Mm -hmm. but not five-year-old women like Violet okay because she's not she's not okay (laughs) no I I do want to talk more about the relationship between Blythe and Gemma because I think it's not necessarily like this is really a we see Blythe really dealing with a lot in this last section with trying to befriend Gemma in a way that is not about warning her like that would be pretty easy to do and that's not what she's doing what she's doing is like obsessively imagining what her life is like and 
part of it is a protective motive, but part of it is something else. Like there's something that Blythe gets from Gemma and from being close to her that is in addition to that. Um, what do you think about their relationship and what is Blythe, why is Blythe pursuing her in this way? Well, I think that, I don't think it's to protect her. Um, I think it's probably partially to understand if it really, because I think when something as crazy as a kid like Violet happens to you, you probably do start to question your own, your own sanity and what, if you were right, and if maybe like everyone is just better off because, you know, Blythe isn't the one raising this kid anymore. And I feel like she's just trying to get a glimpse of their life and relate that back to her. I think she also still part of her loves Fox and Violet and in an unhealthy way she's like still obsessing about what they're doing and wants to like watch them and see because she feels so on the outside of these like extremely important relationships in her life one Um, thing that just bothered me is like it's like on the level of hot tea yeah no not that bad not that bad but Ah! how okay let me just say that my issue is the wig my issue is the fact that (laughs) Blythe wore a wig and was lying to Gemma and she just never noticed like wigs are pretty obvious like a dirty brown wig is just like to my mind seems like unbelievable and also like how did how did the two of them never meet like they're literally co-parenting the same child like that part felt like a stretch things though yeah I mean I see that but one I don't think we ever know that Gemma doesn't know she's wearing a wig but she doesn't ask it is weird that she never asks her why she's wearing a wig um because I I do think she probably knows but like maybe she just I don't know like why people wear wigs for lots of different reasons but I think them not meeting Ashley makes a point of saying that they want to do it at school drop-offs but it does seem very weird to me like I was like day one she's gonna know that Blythe is lying because like you've never seen a picture on Fox's phone you've never gotten a glimpse of her you've never googled her okay like you never looked her up I don't know isn't she I just that did seem very unbelievable that if it would have just been one night I could see it because I think you can be like okay that was a really weird moment but to come back week after week and she's just like this is my best friend Anne Mm mm-hmm and also, this is, like, doesn't she look like Violet? Yeah, I mean, you would assume. I don't think parents ever look like their kids. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think until I, they're older, like, I think it's very hard. Your niece looks just like you, and I feel like that's an anomaly. Yeah, it's, it's Also, freaky. not your kid. It's not but. my child. It's so strange. It's satisfying to have someone who's finally close to Blythe because she does have this guy that she's seeing, but she's still very, like, isolated and alone and still, like, staying in the same house. Um, Yeah. That part is painful. So, I mean, I'm glad that she's able to, like, have a friendship. And then, honestly, at the end, I'm glad that Gemma has her to call. Yeah. I just, like, so wish for Blythe that she would have had – a friend like how she has Gemma when she was going through everything with Violet. She gets to be the mom who's giving advice. She gets to kind of also lean into that identity of someone who did know what she was doing and had trauma and got a kid who is possibly a sociopath. And so I think she gets to pretend that she's somebody or, you know, got dealt a different hand when she's with Gemma. And there's something really addicting about pretending to be somebody you're not, especially by someone not only is she pretending to be someone she's not, but she's doing it with somebody who is like fully off limits for her to be 
near in any way. I think that's probably also part of what keeps her coming back. I, what did you think about, I mean, I know you had said you're harsh on Fox and I think we'll get into this a little bit later with Greta as well, but what did you think of Fox throughout this last section and specifically when he's dropping off the painting? Is that where you started to really hate him? (laughs) I think it's kind of like one of those like fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of situations where it's like, it's one thing. So I get this sense from Gemma and Blythe when Gemma knows that Blythe is Blythe and she keeps asking about Jet. She keeps asking about Violet. It's like she's asking, like, do you see what I see to Gemma about Violet? Like with the razor blade. It's like, come on. Like this, like things are bad. Violet is weird. Tell me that I'm not the only one seeing this. And I think that Gemma is seeing it because she's basically like, we can't talk about this. Like, you can't go there. And it's sort of like, this is obviously a touchy subject. And I just get the sense that, again, Fox is ignoring Gemma. And that's why she's calling Blythe at the very end. Because Blythe knows, understands, and experienced exactly what she did. And Fox doesn't get it, again. And now it's on Fox. It's like, at this point, there's enough evidence that you need to like bury your pride and realize that like there's something wrong with your child and it's not all on Blythe. I think what I said previously was like no one wants to believe the worst in people until it happens. Um, And I think it's so hard because we're only in Blythe's head. We don't see what Fox sees. And so I think that it's hard to, if all you're being, I mean, I just think at the end of the day, if anything were to happen to your kid, Like, you would want to believe your kid wholeheartedly. If if they went through something traumatic and came and told you, you're supposed to believe them. And Fox is the two people that he's supposed to believe, telling him completely conflicting stories. Um, And I think it's really hard to believe that your kid is as evil as Violet is. And so I don't necessarily – I think Fox isn't listening to Blythe. I think that's a huge issue. Okay. But also one thing that, like, never gets (laughs) dealt with is that, like, Fox just full-on had an affair – had a baby, didn't tell Blythe, and then just went off and started this new family, which he is not integrating Blythe into at all. Like, how is that not... Wait, I just want to clarify here. Yeah. I think Fox is a shitty person. I just don't think that... I don't think Fox is a good person. I do not think that he's a good partner. I just do not think that we can say that, like, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, because I don't think it's that cut and dry to where like he truly was given all the information and seen everything and made a bad decision and then did the same thing again because it is years between them too. It's not like it's like she kills Sam and then three months later she hurts Jet. Um, And I just, I think, I don't think we can blame him at all for Jet's whatever happens to Jet Mm -hmm. or for not doing enough. He probably told Gemma, here's all the situations that happened and here's what Blythe thinks happened and here's what really happened fair or not but I don't think I, I am not saying he's a good person okay you had a baby while your wife was going through like the hardest time of her life right. and didn't tell her you? never told her never yeah told no her. I mean maybe Violet got all her bad streaks from Fox and not from the women in Blythe's family touche okay? um speaking of the women in Blythe's family we find out that her mom Cecilia never wanted to be a mom and specifically like tried to have an abortion and I think that's also something similar with Blythe early on where 
the men in their lives and also just kind of societal expectations is that you should want to be a mom and you should be happy that you're going to be a mom and we can just ignore the fact that you didn't want to be a mom and everything will work itself out. Like once she comes here, you'll change your mind. Like why Seb didn't listen to her. And then again, the same thing of like life not being listened to. I mean, I would hope and I think that we're moving as a society away from that. Like I feel about forcing women to be the one to stay. Like I think, but I think in Cecilia's time, like that was – was much more of the reality. Like, you're not allowed to have conflicting feelings. I do think now, like, I I would hope and I think that a lot of people in my friends and younger generations don't feel that same pressure that women in the in Cecilia's generation and Etta's generation. I think we still feel the pressure. It's not that the pressure is gone, but I think it is evolving, hopefully, to a better place than where it was when Etta had Cecilia and when Cecilia was raising Blythe. But I do think, yeah, there isn't a lot of space for that narrative of, mom who doesn't want to and like how do you admit that I feel like Cecilia said it and he didn't listen which is that part is crazy like she's telling you this is not something that she wants um I'm curious if you experienced this when you got married of people then asking you like oh when is the like when are the kids coming are the kids like right around the corner like I've noticed that we have this like narrative for women and we put this pressure on them. I get what you're saying. Like it's definitely not as bad, but in your experience, you still like have that pressure from other people. I mean, I do think there are still pressures and expectations and people do still ask. Um, I don't personally like feel the pressure to make a decision based on what other people think I should be doing specifically about that. But also because I was raised by my parents, I feel like whatever I decide they'll be happy with. Not that, but I feel like that's who's normally pressuring people is like the older people in their family. My friends are definitely not. Um, it is funny though, just like the expectations of women having kids after they get married. I one time did have someone say to me like in, in traveling or in taking on an assignment, like, well, what if you get pregnant? Like for work. And I was like, well, why didn't you ask everyone else that? Why didn't you ask this guy? What if you what if you have a baby? Like, why would I give you this promotion? What if you have a baby? Like, why do you think I'm going to have a baby? One. Why do you think that would affect me getting this promotion? Why? You can't, you can't say that. So that's like step one. But like, you know, it is interesting because I don't even think that people mean it offensively when they say things like that. It's just like this inherent expectation that you got married and you will now have, you will now have kids. And I think... I've never felt that from my like immediate family, but in situations like that, I, I'm like, oh yeah, that's interesting. That was your just like subconscious question there. Similarly, I had a relative who is like, I'm not close with, but they saw me after like a couple of years and they were like, oh, your little sister got married before you did. Like, how do you feel about that? And I was like, great. <laughs> I feel happy. Um, like I, yeah. I've literally yeah. never thought about it until right now. Like she's two years younger. It's not like my like whatever my right. niece is getting married. Not that I. Anyways, I actually feel immense pressure. I feel immense pressure to explain myself to justify when and why. You know, for me, I don't see motherhood in the future. At least at this point. Well, I think that makes it different too because when people ask you and you say that. That opens like a an entire room, other thing. Yeah. Unfair room, but another conversation. Like I'm usually like, yeah, I want to adopt a kids in the next two to three years. And people like, shut up. Yeah. 
who do you feel like you feel that pressure from? Like, do you think it's like societal pressure? Do you feel like it's just women at our age in general? Or like, what do you think? Do you think it's because you said you don't want kids and people really have some feels about that that they should not have? Yeah, I think it's that having kids is a choice and I'm allowed to have other choices. Like, and then the response is usually like, oh, you'll change your mind inevitably you will like sort of what Cecilia experiences like well you'll want it eventually and I'm like you don't know that I hate that assumption that you don't know best what you want out of your life because you're just like you just don't know yet like that's so insulting it's also very frustrating because I think we have the idea that we're a very egalitarian society and it's just not true so this paper came out um in the past couple days about the disproportionate share of caretaking and chores around the house that women have taken up during COVID. Um, I mean, it's just set set women back so far in terms of like career progression and the amount like their well-being has decreased because they're doing more chores. And it's like, and this is interacting with motherhood, so it's even worse for moms. And I just feel like we have these ideas that we won't expect more from women that it will be a partnership and it's just the data is not backing that up and I don't want to say that it's like that women want perfect 50 50 distribution where they're working half the time and their husband's working half the time and whatever everybody wants different things but the idea that we don't live in a world where the burden will fall on me is just a lie and I'm sick of people telling me that like oh it's not true and you can do it if you have a great partner I'm like, no, because society expects something different from women. And if we like, it's a lie to say that they don't, especially when it comes to motherhood. I am Greta. I live in Sydney at the moment and I'm currently full-time at uni so I'm doing I'm in my fourth year at uni and I'm doing a science and law degree which is a weird combo but (laughs) it's really enjoyable wow um and I basically spend all of my spare time not doing my law readings and doing readings of various books (laughs) so that I can post about them on my Instagram which I started as very much like as a COVID lockdown like you know, what else am I going to do? And now I just love it so much. Yeah. That's awesome. Now that we're finished with the book, I kind of just want to get your sense of what you thought about it overall. Um, did you like it? Did you hate it? What did you think of her writing style? Just like a high level general review, an Instagram review, if you will. Well, I loved it. But now when you guys sent me the list of questions that we were going to talk through today, I was like, oh, there is like actually a lot to unpack. Because I feel on face value, I read it in January and I love that it was like a short book with short chapters and I just flew through it and I was like, one done already, feeling really good about myself. But I think it's a really good book to talk through because there's a lot of themes that I don't know if she did correctly, which I guess we'll get into. But on face value, I loved it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think from all the books that we've read so far since our fifth book on the pod um this is one where 
almost everyone who I know who read it with the podcast read it just completely ignored our schedule and went ahead and read the whole thing like it's definitely a compulsive read where you want to both finish the story because you want to know what happens but I think also you like want to get out of Blythe's head like I want to get out of that um, scenario as quick as possible almost the first question that I have for you is in this book we have a lot of different enemies or a lot of different antagonists if you will in your mind who is the real enemy of this book is it Violet is it Blythe is it the women in Blythe's family who are we meant to kind of learn from or fear in this book I I think this was a good question because I don't know who the enemy is supposed to be like I kind of feel like it's a little bit supposed to be Violet because she was just a very rogue child and like to the point where I was like are children evil like should we like should I know this before I have children like <laughs> uh, <laughs> do some children just become really right? evil and there's nothing you can do um but I, I don't think I sympathized a lot with Blythe and I think that that's because it was written from her perspective so that I had her justifications for everything and then because you also see the way that she's been treated by her mother, you can excuse anything slightly bad that she's done. And it feels like she's doing everything she can for Violet and Violet just doesn't care. So I guess it seemed like Violet was the enemy, but I'm not sure. I think that's a good point. So speaking of Blythe and like her doing everything she can, um, do you think you would characterize Blythe as a quote-unquote good mom? And I'm not even sure what quote unquote good mom means in 2021. So if you want to kind of expand on what that means and was Blythe a good mom? I think she had good intentions. And I think that's like what it, a good mom for me would just be like someone who really cares and, and is trying to be a good mom. And I mean, maybe they, they do some things wrong and that might negate that. I think, I think Blythe had it really hard, especially if we're talking about her in 2021. Like, it seemed like her partner, Fox, was just, like, completely unhelpful and completely unsympathetic and was just not there for her. So I think at that point, it just becomes really hard to be a good mom. But I think she tried. For sure. Do you think that it's different what different in for better or for worse the standards that Blythe is being held to in this um do you think it's different than what her mom or her grandma was expected to do while raising her yeah yeah I think parenting standards potentially have increased I think what we expect people to do now for their children is almost sacrificial in some senses like if you don't give your child everything then what are you doing? Kind of. I think that that expectation exists. Whereas, I mean, I wasn't (laughs) alive necessarily for a long time ago, so I'm just going based off vibe. Um, But it seems like the vibe earlier was just like, you didn't have to do as much for your children or, you know, the whole like seen and not heard. Like, could you imagine if that existed now? Yeah, I think what Cecilia did, I think Cecilia is our bad mom. She's our bad mom trope of like the unattached, uneffectual, distant mom who, despite Blythe's like reaching out for her, just drops the ball completely. And 
I think that Blythe is doing the best she can with what she has. And that doesn't mean that that's the best mom, but it's all you can expect from people. Um, I do think Blythe has a lot of unprocessed trauma. Um, You know, I don't know whose responsibility it is to unpack trauma if it's been handed down to you. Like, we'll probably come back to this theme later. Um, But she definitely has, you know, kind of rebuffs her opportunities to improve and to process her trauma which is probably maybe the one area I would critique her on. You know, she goes to this, like, retreat in order to process Sam's death, mostly because, like, Fox can't handle her. And she doesn't really take that opportunity. She takes it as, like, a way to push more people away. Even, like, Iris, who is, like, the one person who extends her hand to her. And that part is just, like, heartbreaking. I think maybe that's one area where Ashley is, like, hinting that Blythe's not really doing all she could do. But I agree with you, Greta, the sacrificial mom who gives everything and asks for nothing in return is definitely the expectation. And like, I can't imagine what that feels like. Um, I do want to talk. I have one more question about Violet, which is like, what do you think of Violet in general? Like, why do you think she is the way she is? Is she a sociopath? Is she like, what, what is this character? <laughs> Right. And the whole time you're reading it, you're like, you're like, what, what is, what is going on? Are you genuinely evil? Or like, does your mum have this predisposed, like, vision of how you should be? And she's totally misinterpreting the events. And um, I really liked that part of the book, how like, you didn't know who to believe. And then Fox was saying all these things being like, no, Blythe, like you've got it totally wrong. And you were like, oh, has she got it wrong? But it feels like that Violet, like you're like, Fox, you're not there all the time. You're not seeing what's happening. <laughs> like I was, you don't get it. <laughs> right? So invested in that part of the storyline. Um, but then the ending, at the end when she um, Gemma comes over, I feel like you get that resolution of like, yeah, Violet genuinely was the evil one, which was good. I think I needed that to, like, give me a lot of closure. My sense, to come back to the, like, enemy question, is, like, I think the real villain in this book is Fox because Violet is who she is. She's not capable of change, it doesn't seem like. And it doesn't. it does seem like she, like, to her core, is just has no moral compass. And Blythe sees that and fox refuses to the last scene where fox drops off the painting and has the opportunity to make amends with blythe and to potentially like let bygones be bygones or something like that and then he twists the knife in her to be like she deserved more from you like violet needs deserved better than you is just so frustrating because he just does not believe her he's not listening to blythe and all the evidence to the contrary, he still is, like, siding with Blythe. Oh, just drives me crazy. That, like, or sorry, still siding with Violet. That part just drove me. That was, like, the worst scene, I feel like, in the entire book. It's, like, and him even taking, sorry, this is so, like, sporadic thoughts. But him even taking the painting that meant so much to Blythe in the first place is just, he's the worst. That's, <laughs> that's how I feel about Fox. <laughs> Yeah, but then even that I feel like is really complex because 
at what point do you like expect the father to not believe their own child? Like, who do you think a father should side with? Like their partner or their child? So I think like, I think everyone was in a really difficult position. Like, and I agree, like I viscerally hated Fox, (laughs) but I'm also not sure if he's like, I also am like, but you're not like the enemy. You weren't doing anything wrong. Again, you were just trying to do, what you th- I don't know the best you could with what you had also mm. I mean because he I do feel like it's hard Violet definitely did not have the same tendencies towards Fox so like I mean he wasn't believing his wife but he also wasn't seeing it the same way so it's like hard to hold him accountable for not believing her when he has two people who he loves and who he like is supposed to trust and believe and he's supposed to decide who is more likely, who he should believe more between like your your partner and your kid. Like that's that's a really hard decision to potentially make wrong. Again, nobody's nobody's like standing up for Blythe here. Like Fox's mom too, she saw a cup a couple more like tidbits than I think Fox did, and she still wasn't really like advocating for Blythe. And I feel like everyone didn't want to like really admit what they were seeing because then you're admitting that you have a truly evil child, which is terrifying. Like she's terrifying. (laughs) I think she's so scary. Makes me scared to have a child. (laughs) But that's the thing. Like, I think when you, the first question, like, what do you think of Violet and why is she the way she is? Like it, it's still, feels very unbelievable to me that like a five-year-old would kill their brother like I just still really struggle to believe that someone so young could have so much hatred and I guess that part is possibly fictional or I'm very naive no I think we talked about that though and I I think Erica you made this point like I said do you think that she knew that she was killing him and I don't think that she really I think what we decided it was like or I decided I don't know that she doesn't really understand mortality the way like her parents do. Like she might, might want to injure him or get him out of her life. But I don't think she like, I don't know that I think that five-year-olds can truly comprehend mortality in that way to be like, I am going to kill this kid, but just like, I hate him. Please Mm. remove him from my life. So I don't know. Still, still like a sociopath. Yeah. On some level. Yeah. This gets to our next question, which is one of the themes and debates that, I think Ashley is playing with in this book is the nature versus nurture and you know is Violet the way that she is because she was born that way or is she the way she is because Blythe doesn't have all the right tools to raise her correctly Um, what do you think about that debate and do you think either of these narratives are entirely true or entirely false I think it's really interesting nature versus nurture Um, and it comes up a lot in psychology, I think this book has taken it to the extremes to the point where it doesn't totally exist. Like, I don't believe people are just born to be sociopaths and that people, um, the way that they're raised is wholly an extent on who they turn out to be. Like, I don't, I don't believe that. And I think that that in this case, in this book, is, like, very fictional. Like, she took this idea and fictionalised it. And it made a really good book, so that was really cool. And it's interesting to talk about that. But I don't think it's true. Yeah. I don't think you can necessarily, like, tease apart. I think it always has to be partially both, and it can lean one way or the other. But, like, you can't 
imagine what this kid would have really been like if she was raised by somebody completely different. And you can't imagine what kind of mom would have been, would, would Blythe have been if she had had Sam first. So like, Ooh, you can't tease out Katie (laughs) if it's nature versus nurture, which I think is the point of this. It's, you know, that it is nuanced. Do you think that it was like genuinely Sam that changed her mind? Because from my memory of the book and it's been a month, so correct me if I'm wrong, but from very early days, like Blythe, you know, Violet would just cry and Blythe would just leave her and be like, and she definitely had some sort of like postnatal depression going on from what it's, well, it seemed that she had some postnatal depression going on. So you could explain it that way, but you know, potentially that would have happened with Sam. Like potentially she was just like, when she fell pregnant again, she was like, this one will be perfect. So she'd already like in her mind made that up. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think it just, it's not necessarily that it's Sam, but I think that with the first, with Violet, she was so scared. She had so much like unresolved trauma she had not worked through. And I don't think she really, like, I think she told Fox or she told us in her brain some way. She wasn't like ready to be a mom. She didn't want to be a mom. With Sam, I feel like it was this very conscious decision where she was like, I'm going to be a mom and I want to be really good at it with Sam. Like, he's going to be everything that I need. We're going to need each other and I'm going to love him. And so, like, if she had maybe, maybe not so much if she had had Sam first, but maybe if she had, like, gone to therapy first and then had a baby, like, you know, what kind of mom? We know she has potential. But I think you're right. Like, she did totally just, like, leave Violet. Why do you think that the women in this book carry this weight of trauma? Do you think it's something that's like passed down through generation? And what was Ashley's intention with that choice, specifically of like having the trauma passed through the women? I think it definitely was passed down through the women. And that goes back to the nurture thing. Like if you aren't nurtured by your parents properly, then you're more likely to have mental health problems when you become older. And then subsequently, if you have mental health problems, that inhibits your ability to parent someone. Um, And that's clearly like no one's fault. That is just what happens. Like when Blythe had Violet, I think, to like I said before, to my perception, she clearly had some sort of postnatal depression and no one acknowledged it and no one cared. And, And that was really frustrating to see because she clearly just couldn't be a parent. And this problem just like escalated itself to the point where she hated her child. And that could have, if anyone had helped her very early on, I feel this whole thing wouldn't have happened, which I think was quite frustrating, but also like interesting dealing with that. But I think one of the reasons that Ashley did it was to like explore gender and prescribe gender roles on women, particularly mothers. Cause I think this is like a big thing that exists in society um, where mothers are supposed to just be these like perfect angels. And that can be really hard if you're carrying a lot of other things. And if your partner's not listening to, you, if your partner's not actually doing anything and they're just at work all day and you're at home depressed with this baby that I just, and I really liked that. And then, it sort of ends up with Blythe being characterized as like that hysterical woman. And you're like, is she a hysterical woman or like, is no one believing her? And also even that the idea that we have a little female sociopath, it's like that also doesn't really exist. It's like the idea that women are very complicated. We carry a lot both in motherhood and in life and, you know, 
Yeah, I just think, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. She's definitely playing with gender roles intentionally. Did this book make you rethink motherhood in any way? Yeah, and I definitely think it did. I always have a big issue with the way that, like, motherhood is presented in society. Like, it bothers me that the expectation for me, I feel, is to, like, go and be a mother and then when I become a mother to be this perfect housewife and this perfect wife and to be a perfect mother. Like I look at my future and I'm like, maybe I just like don't want to spend the whole day cleaning and looking after children. Maybe, maybe I want to, you know? And, and so I like, that's why I think I really enjoyed this book so much because I enjoy books that grapple with the idea of what society expects of women and mothers. And I think, I think this book just made me like aware that it's going to be really hard and that's okay. And to make sure that you find a partner that knows that it's going to be really hard and they're going to be there for you and together you can do this really hard thing and it's going to be really rewarding, fingers crossed, Um, (laughs) unless you have a kid like Violet, in which case (laughs) I don't really know what you're going to do. And I think, you know, it's obviously doable if you have the right support around you, which clearly in this book no one had and so it was virtually impossible so I think yeah I think it was like good to see that motherhood isn't just the perfect image that is often presented to women I do think a big part of what you just said too like there it really did drive home the point like you can do this but like they always say it takes a village like you have to have people around you who are like honest and communicate and are ready and willing to like help you because Blythe didn't, and you can just see how quickly it can, like, all fall apart mm. if you don't have that support. And you have to want it as well. Also that. Right? Wanting the baby would be, like, a good yeah. first step. <laughs> Wanting, that is just such a good place to start. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, okay, so our last question. What else are you reading right now? Oh, I'm reading a really good book. Um, I'm reading, the, well, I've actually, I've got it here because i this one, All Our Shimmering Skies by Trent Dalton. Did you guys read his first one? No. Boys for His Universe. It was like, um, he's an Australian author, so it was very big in Australia. I don't know how it went. I don't know. But that does not mean that it didn't go over well. Um, <laughs> What's it about? <laughs> well, this one, All, All Our Shimmering Skies is really cool. It's set in Darwin in 1942 and it's sort of about the Japanese coming and bombing Darwin and then Sydney and Brisbane and then this young girl Molly who's a grave digger goes and decides to go on an adventure because she thinks her grandfather's put a curse on her family and then she's trying to find him to be like can you lift the curse um and she's sort of on this quest with this older girl called Greta. Really <gasps> cool. Because um, <laughs> they don't exist in books much. And then they meet this person. I don't know. It's just, it's funny, which I think is why I'm enjoying it. So much like I'm reading the dialogue and she's sort of like 12 and she just says things that are really funny. And then I'm laughing out loud. Anyway, I'm really liking it. It's so fun. Cool. Well, it was so great having you. Yes, thank, thank you, you for so much. being on the no, pod. Thank you for having me. Talk, talk. Talk, talk. <laughs> Hi. Hi. What's happening in your life this week? What's new? Um, I'm just like slowly dying, but I... <laughs> Cool. I feel like cool. very overwhelmed. Like, I've been right in now. Zoom reading Zoom meetings all day today and 
Mm. It's just, I can't do it, man. This computer thing has got to end. I cannot wait to be in yeah. an in-person meeting in like a seminar talk again. Um, but what I was going to tell you is we talked about In and of Itself by Derek Del Gaudio. Oh, I have to watch that stuff. Mm-hmm. Ronan Farrow and John Lovett went to an episode, obviously. <laughs> they oh. went to a showing. Oh, okay. I'm just like, oh, I'm just like super in an, like obsessed with that. I know. They're so sweet. Wait. They there's are. A, there's like, I love his cameos in Catch and Kill. That's all I'll say. Okay. I think they're very funny because he's like, I came home and Jonathan, like they started stalking Jonathan and they gave after a day because like all he did was go to like two yeah. places and they came he's and not interesting he's like, enough. I am a very interesting person. I went to an escape room and I was dying. Oh, it's so funny. He's like so mad that the craze, like under deep state stalkers are no longer trailing him. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like he has nothing interesting I'm to interesting. add. Um, oh my god, that's funny. That book is like. I keep thinking I'm reading this in some other world. I remember it's, like, so heartbreaking that this is, like, a true story. And I haven't, like, Googled anything about, like, where they are now, where these people are now. But I did, like, have to look up something specific on Google in the book. And then I saw that, like, Noah Oppenheimer, whatever, like, still in charge at NBC. And I was like, oh, the way the world works is just so upsetting sometimes, like. So and the way that they try to be like, he didn't bring us this. St- like, you're just, I'm like, you're shitty people and you're involved with shitty people. And this is a shitty story. Yep. So but true. It's really, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy. What else is happening? What did I do this weekend? Oh, I got a tattoo. Oh my God. Yeah, you got a tattoo. Well, I added I just, to my collection. <laughs> I have 10 now. So I feel like that's like a good, now I can say I'm like a tattooed person. I basically have a sleeve and I have 10 tattoos. I just think you were a tattooed person. A oh, while okay. Ago, That's good. Yes, so hot. Um, it was so. so it looks great. It was so strange because I'm like, wow, we are close. Like we were both wearing masks. Um, obviously the shop is like socially distanced. She took my temperature when I got there, but it was like, oh yeah, this is like a stranger is touching me. <laughs> yeah, how weird, right? <laughs> like, what is this experience? And then someone. Um, else was getting tattooed in the shop as well and she came in and it was like oh, a stranger like wow I haven't been around a do. stranger in so long I mean I guess I take the subway but you know what I mean it was just like exciting yeah I mean pros gotta take our thrills where we can get it Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. What do you think? I need to like keep thinking about my thoughts. Shut up. Keep thinking about my thoughts. I need to keep parsing them together, but I think when you say me yours, I might have like an opposing or an agreeing point of view.